Welcome to an NRL.com podcast to take you through all the late season rule changes heading into 2021. Chris Kennedy, Brad Walter and Alicia Newton on the line to discuss the outcome of the ARLC announcement and the uh, innovation committee, um, what they've come up with. Brad and Alicia, thank you both for joining us. Yeah, but, uh, thanks, Chris. How are you going? It's, um, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how these rule changes are implemented next season. Nothing like a bit of change to come in December when we're all supposed to be talking about cricket and everything else. We're talking about rugby league. Never ends. It's great. Oh my just in holiday mode already. I'll run through the changes just quickly. The um, Probably the one that's got the most attention is the field goals. They're now worth two points if you can kick them from more than 40 metres out. Uh, I'm not sure how common that'll be. We'll get into that in a bit more detail. Um, all 10 metre offsides are now a six again ruling rather than a penalty. Um, few changes around scrums. They are staying, but with a few changes... Um, some details around when they can break from the scrums and um, there'll be sin bins if there's multiple infringements. Um, play the ball restarts for all kicks into touch. So no more um, scrums from kicks into touch. Um, incorrect play the balls are no longer a penalty. They would just be a handover. Um, captain's uh, challenge. I really like this one when the um, the challenge is the, the footage is inconclusive. The team challenging won't lose their challenge just because there's not enough evidence to say one way or the other. Um, Bunker reviews, when a try is scored and uh, is awarded, the bunker will have a look in the background. Um, so while the conversion's being lined up, if they find that it's a no try, it can then still be called off. The referee will hold up um, goal kickers to make sure there's time for that to happen. And um, one around trainers being on field, if a trainer calls a play to be stopped due to a, um, a player being injured, that player will have to either be interchanged or go off for two minutes to be assessed. We've obviously seen quite a few players um, or, or trainers calling for, for stoppages for injuries that turned out to be minor. Uh, Brad, a lot in there um, to cover off on. Where did you want to start? Well, just the way that I see it, while all the attention's going to be on the, on the, uh, the field goal or is on the field goal at the moment, the two-point field goal, it's probably not something we're going to see a lot of, but the things that are going to impact on the game is, is are the rules around scrums and 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 penalties, um, which are, are going to decrease the stoppages in the games. And the way I see it is scrums are going to be rarer, but they're going to be more valuable. So scrums are like diamonds now, um, where there's not going to be that many opportunities for them. But when they are, they're going to be um, it's it's going to be a great attacking opportunity for teams. The the fact that the second rowers or the the, the forwards in the scrum have to bind in uh, to a scrum and can't break until the referee calls break. It's just going to give the attacking team a bit more time to, to get players in a one-on-one -on -one situation or to spread the ball out to the edges. And I think we're going to see even more tries from scrums in 2021 than what we did see this year. Alicia, you've been on the road uh, all day pretty much. What have you learned in your travels? Yeah, just, uh, we all had a chat to Andrew Abdo and um, he was obviously very supportive of, of all the changes that have been made. But yeah, I agree with what Brad has said around the scrums. And I think the advantage for teams leading into next year will be that there's actually time for them to adjust. I think we saw the best of teams using the scrums towards the end of the season. And obviously through Origin, we saw a few tries being scored off scrum plays. So um, yeah, I mean that's that's the big thing, isn't it? The speed of the game um, is is only going to get even even quicker than than the gear just passed. So, um, but yeah, from from the governing body's point of view, and obviously with with Andrew, he was quite happy with um, how it's all sort of coming about, and now it's just up to clubs and players to uh, to adjust accordingly. 
we'll start going through them all in a little bit more detail uh, one at a time. We'll start off with the field goals. Like I said, it's sort of gotten the most attention. And Brad, like you said, it's probably going to be the least influential one um, when it actually comes down to it. I crunched some numbers uh, today, a uh, young going up on NRL.com this afternoon, um, of the almost 60 field goal attempts in the season 2020. Um, there were 10 attempts from 40 metres or further out, and only one of them actually went over. So there were nine unsuccessful shots from more than 40 out, just one successful. That was all the way back in round one. Um, the Broncos and the Cowboys. Broncos were forced into a goal line dropout on the stroke of half time. Sent it long. Michael Morgan regathered and, and potted a field goal from um, about 41 metres out. And that was the first and last long range um, or what would have been a two-point field goal um, all season. So, uh, Brad, potentially not a lot of opportunity for this to come in, given that we do still have the, um, the seven-tackle restart penalty if the kick goes dead. I think, yeah, and I think that's exactly the this um, situation or the scenario where we'll see teams um, try it. It is like in the dying seconds before half time if you if you um, can get up into that range maybe if you were to win a, a scrum or you could get your, your way downfield you'd try to um, with a with you know 30 seconds left on the clock you'd try and get yourself in a position and you'd have that shot at uh, shot at field goal um, before half time uh, as Michael Morgan did in, did in that game I don't see that teams are going to be trying it um, you know seven minutes out from full time to break a deadlock um, yeah, however what I do think it might change is I also think that maybe teams now, um, if they're, you know, in the 73rd minute, for example, if the scores are level, um, teams may not go for that for that one-point field goal as well to give themselves a buffer. They might, I don't know, maybe they will go for a, a two-point field goal. More than likely, they'll retain possession and they'll try and score a try. Yeah, I don't know if you'll see a lot of... I think if the scores are, are tied with five or seven minutes to go and you've got a chance at one point, I think the, the teams will still take it, even if there is the threat of the other team potentially getting a two-point field goal later on. Maybe more likely, if you're trailing by two points, it gives you another sort of Hail Mary, you know, hit and hope chance to to try and set up for a 40-metre field goal to force your way into um, to golden point extra time. But, um, yeah, whether there's more than 10 attempts um, next season with a, an extra point on offer, yeah, remains to be seen but let's move on to the um the the 10 meter infringements um alicia i'll start with you the, there's no more um penalties for, for 10 meter offsides do you think this is open to a bit of exploitation or just another sort of handy way to speed the game up well as a fan i just remember you know watching the game and if you got a penalty from 20 meters out in your own end you were just relieved right to go into the next um zone so it's it's going to be definitely – I think players would much prefer to give up a six again than, you know, 30 metres downfield and a fresh set attacking the line. Um, so I definitely think there's room for that to happen with op- opposition teams sort of exploiting it. But it's just going to, you know, bring in more further tackles, further fatigue, and um, and I guess referees probably also are, are quite happy to, to signal that six again um, more often than, than blowing a penalty. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one again. Or just I don't think it will change too much given what we've just seen in the six again. But um, you know, I think it'll be tougher for teams to actually get out of their own end if if there is a six again. Because what does it give you? Sometimes it only gives you one or two extra tackles. So I know what I prefer. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit mixed on that one. Brad, do you see well, it being more consequential in the for the teams working out of their own end, or is it the teams defending their own line and getting off their trial line and shutting down players and giving away offsides? Yeah, I think that it's going to put pay to 
those teams who are just happy to um, concede a penalty on their own try line um, because so that they can get their defences reset and go again. Now they're not going to have that opportunity to do so. There's going to be they're going to have to defend another set, and if they continually breach, well, they're just going to be defending on the, until they concede a try. So I think you know a couple of years ago we saw that the the top teams in the the top teams on the ladder were also the teams that conceded the most penalties yeah. uh, on, their, on their own try line. Um, I think that advantage or that uh, that ploy is is now dead in the water. What about I mean? scrums overall there was a few sort of tweaks around uh scrums you, you sort of touched on the um the back rowers binding and you have to wait for the referee to call break before you break and if they um uh, the team that gets the the benefit from it can either choose to reset the scrum or um to take the the penalty can you talk us through this one yeah so so now if a if a um if players do break from a scrum early it's a penalty and it's not a differential, it's a full penalty. So the team could obviously take the two points and have a shot of goal, um, but they also have the opportunity, they could tap as well, um, but they also have the opportunity to just say, we want to reset the scrum and we have another scrum, uh, which gives them the opportunity to have seven on seven. Um, and usually the scrums will be set in the middle of the field. So there's obviously a, a, a potential split there and just try and get a Get an advantage over the uh, over the defending line, particularly obviously if they're uh, close to the close to the line. And the other in- really interesting um, uh, change, I suppose, or, or tweak to this rule is that if the team does decide to take that option and the defensive team breaks from the scrum early again, the, the offending player will be sent to the sin bin. Um, so again, it's it's a high price to to pay. It's going to ensure that um, the players comply with that with those rules. Probably where we see teams breach that rule most is actually not at the defensive end. It's up the other end of the field because they figure they, if, you know, they're a good chance of getting, at, getting away with it. And if they don't, then the penalty is not too severe. But if the penalty now becomes um, a sin bin, um, then, you know, a player sent to the sin bin, then I, I'm pretty sure that will, um, that will have an impact on that as well. So I think it's, it, will, um, it will really, you know, turn scrums into, into proper attacking opportunities. Do you have any idea if the um, if there is a double infringement and the sin bin results, can the attacking team still opt for the scrum again? If they get to choose between a scrum and a penalty, can they choose the scrum and then choose the seven on six? I imagine they can. I, I don't know the details about that, but yeah, I imagine that that that, that would be an opportunity for them as well. So yeah, that, look, all these rule changes are to in the um, to advantage the attacking team, aren't they? Well, yeah, there seems to be. And the next one, obviously, is um, kicks into uh, into touch, or, or I think players getting run into touch as well is now a um, resumes with a play the ball. Alicia, I'll start with you. Um, we're talking about this just offline um, before. It's potentially going to change a few things with the way that the teams sort of finish their sets. Yeah, because obviously you look back, you know, you know, all the time that I've watched rugby league, and and a good kick into touch is usually you know applauded and and kills a bit of time and teams have teams have enough time to walk up the field and reset and sort of just control that tempo of the game so so now you know there's a bit of gray area around whether how quickly can the opposition bring the ball in and play the ball that'll be the next question and um, I guess it's just going to be one of those things obviously yes we are killing time by um, by not having a scrum but um, how it will work is probably you know, and what sort of advantage it gives to that kicking team who's put in a good, good kick. Um, you know, I think there's probably a little bit more to, to solve around that. But, um, 
yeah, just just another one to, to tick off the list for this year. Could it be a bit of a counter-attacking ploy, Brad, do you think, if there's a good kick downfield, but then the defending team picks it up and plays it quickly before the um, the, the team that kicked it is set, there could be a bit of a, a counter-attacking option? Well, I think there's no doubt there will be. When you think about, you know, a long kick into the corner and um, the, the team, um, the defending team, uh, who then receive the ball, um, you know, they'll they'll be able to take a quick tap and potentially spread the ball across the field and because the other team will will be trying to get downfield. Um, so, yeah, I think there's going to, I don't know, it's going to be really interesting to see how that rule works. I just think, you know, so w- what the NRL has tried to do or the Innovation Committee has tried to do, while, you know, while, it, while you, if you're supporting a team and maybe they're defending a lead or it's a tight game and they put a kick into the corner and you think, yeah, that's a great play. We've got the team pinned down in the corner there. We've got a scrum that we can reset, etc. And that's a, essentially a negative play, isn't it? Um, you know, and it does wind the clock down and it does take away the, the ability of the other team to to, to attack and to, to get themselves into a good attacking position. And this is going to reverse that. Uh, so that kick into the corner isn't such a good play anymore. It could actually expose you to, as you said, to a, to a counterattack. Are we sort of going a bit away from the, you know, the fabric, I guess, of rugby league? Like for for a long time, defence has been, you know, as important, if not more important, than attack. If you're, you know, winning a grand final, you're you're up by two points with you know ten minutes to go, and you sort of want to manage the the clock down. Um, you know, for a hundred years, a good halfback's been able to kick to the corner and pin the opposition team with a scrum in their own end and um, sort of grind the game out that way is that i mean do we risk getting too far away from that sort of style of play or do we want to get away from that style of play well i think we probably do want to get away from that style of play i I know like maybe not in all circumstances or situations and there should be some reward for you know if a team's dominating and they can uh come up with a play like that but i think that you know as as um as andrew abdo and peter blandis continually say rugby league's in the entertainment business and fans don't you know, most fans um, don't go to watch the ball kicked into touch. They want to see the ball in play. And that's what we're going to see, the the more t- um, the ball in play for longer periods of time and more attacking play and less negative and less defensive play. And obviously, it's going to be, there's going to be um, higher levels of fatigue and players are going to have to be, you know, f- fitter to be able to cope with that. I just, I just think with I just sorry, CK, yeah, I just think yeah. with all the criti- with all the criticism that's on playmakers and you know, oh the game management needs to be better and stepping up, like that is one way that they, they you know, they get praise for that. I mean, you look at someone like Jonathan Thurston probably did it his whole career where he'd come up with the right play, you know, when he was leading by two points. So um, you know, I think if anything, it's probably just gonna put a bit more pressure on some of our top paid players that to come up with something different if say if, if that rule now changes the way that balls are kicked downfield and and finding touch and all that maybe we will see more balls kicked in the air and just keep it in play because that, that might be a bit easier to corner corner the opposition down the other end so yeah it'll be interesting either way but um yeah I think it might if anything put a bit more heat on playmakers yeah, you're right. You think about someone like Cooper Cronk was the master of sort of managing a game and being accurate with his his kicks. I wonder how he would have adapted to, to these sort of rule changes. Um, yeah, move the next one, probably one of the less controversial ones, really, the, the handover for the incorrect play the ball. Um, instead of, you know, if you play it sideways or don't put your foot on it, instead of being a penalty to the um, 
defending team. It's now just a, a handover. Alicia, it's probably a very big penalty previously to actually get penalised in possession. It's, I mean, losing possession is a big enough penalty without sort of being booted downfield as well. Do you see this as being sort of a, a more common sense sort of move? It's one of my biggest pet peeves in the game. I can't stand it when I see a player get up and not play it properly or not even try to, you know, mm. put his foot over it. So I feel like it's one of those rules too that, you know, for the first five rounds, they're like, they get really lenient. Uh, sorry, they get really strict on it and then it just sort of mm. just fizzles away. So, I mean, in a finals game and fast, you know, fast game, how, how often are we going to see it? That's That's the thing for me. I just want to see a bit of consistency involved but um but yeah I mean it'll be interesting if, if it if it does happen I don't mind the player turn, the play the ball turnover but um I also think it's probably just as worthy of a penalty if you're not not playing the ball with your foot it's just laziness mm. so yeah it's one of my, my pet peeves thoughts on this one Brad oh I think it'll just um speed up the play won't it you know r- rather than um Rather than a penalty and, and team kicking for touch, it'll just be a, a play the ball. Um, it, it's a tough penalty, like really to, to, you know, not play the ball properly with your foot. Um, sometimes it could just be, you know, it's a, a small margin of error there. Um, and, and to concede a penalty, it's a, that's a huge, uh, huge disadvantage, isn't it, for, for an attacking team? That's why it's such a, a big call. And I think maybe we'll start to see the referees award the handover a little bit more than what they yeah. they uh, they awarded penalties in the past. It's an interesting one because it's such a um, I mean there's a lot of them are line ball like you kind of have one that they sort of make a half-hearted attempt to roll their foot over and it you know it it gets let go and then a similar one but it's a bit more tunnel ball then gets penalised so like you said maybe if the the penalty isn't as big that the referees might be a bit more willing to um, to to pull them up on it. Um, interesting to see how that one plays out as well. Um, the captain's challenge, Brad. Uh, in terms of so that the change is if a, a captain challenges a ruling it goes up and it's inconclusive um then the on-field decision stands but the team challenging doesn't lose their challenge now this isn't for this is when they genuinely can't tell what the um what the outcome should have been not for when it's a 50 50 and they rule against the uh, the challenger yeah that's right so if if um if the referee's decisions upheld or if um um yeah if Effectively, if it's you know, unless there's conclusive um, evidence that the referee got it wrong, then then the the, the bunker um, still rules on it like they normally do. But if, for example, the a camera angle can't pick up whether the ball was uh, was was uh, you know knocked on or fumbled um, or just dropped or knocked out of a player's hand, sorry, um, then that that'll be that'll be considered inconclusive and a team won't lose their challenge. It's really just a um, eliminate those, uh, yeah, those those difficult calls when no one's really sure what happened, as opposed to when there is a decision made and that's that decision's confirmed. Alicia, you're in cricket mode already. Obviously, it's sort of bring it in line with that umpire's call um, that cricket moved towards a couple of years ago with um, video reviews. Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't have enough evidence um, to overturn the decision, you know, it's it's it just goes in in that favour but we did see I think we saw it a couple of times where there was just quite literally no great angle to to see what had happened so and and a team would lose the challenge anyway um so yeah I don't have a problem with that if anything it's just a bit of common sense and um I don't think too many would complain over over a team keeping their challenge for, for that game 
Yeah, it seems very harsh to lose your challenge when the um, the the bunker can't tell whether it was uh, correct or incorrect call. So I think this is definitely a common sense one. Um, bunker reviews, Brad. Uh, again, we're talking about this offline just before, but basically, when a try is scored and is awarded, the bunker can then review it in the background while the conversion's being lined up. But importantly, the um, the team scoring can't just rush through the conversion to stop the uh, the review happening. This is trialed in the last um, the last round in a couple of bottom eight games of, of 2020. Yeah, and this is another common sense. Real, really, um, we saw last year, I think it was um, the Souths versus the Bulldogs game, and Jackson Paulo from the Rabbitohs scored a try. Um, looked live, it looked like it was a try, but on replay, you saw that he put his um, foot into, into touch before he put the, um, put the ball on the ground. Um, but the referee had already uh, um, awarded the try then. Um, and the bunker, even though everybody sitting at home could see that it was no try, um, Adam, Adam Reynolds was still able to go and line up the conversion attempt while we're watching replays that showed that, that it was no try. And the bunker couldn't intervene under the rules to say um, that's no try, which I think most of us thought at the time, why don't we, we all know it's not a try now. Let's just, why can't we just go back and, um, and take that try away and, and, and play on from there. So now um, they have this, this ability to be able to do this. And when it was tried last year, um, we saw, um, so kickers were then rushing through their kicks to try and, um, you know, um, complete their kick before the bunker had the opportunity to review that and maybe take away a try. Um, so what's happened now, you know, what the tweak from that is that um, the player won't be able to take the conversion attempt until the bunker gives it the all clear. But it's not like they're going to be reviewing it over and over and over again. If the referee says it's a try, they're just going to have, a you know, a quick one or two looks to confirm it, and then the player will be able to take the conversion attempt. Yeah, most of them will be uncontroversial, you would think. And it allows the referee also, when they think it's a try, to award it without having to check it, and then the bunker can obviously still check it um, in the background. Now, did we get one, um, that Broncos-Cowboys game, was there one like this? So I feel like it might have been Tabuai Fido sort of ran a, a fair distance to score, and it was awarded on field, and then the bunker worked out he was offside. Um, am I remembering that correctly? Alicia. Yeah, that does. That, that rings a bell. Yeah, yeah I can't remember that. Let's just say it happened. Um, <laughs> but yeah, probably. I mean, I'm, Alicia, I don't know if you're a bigger NFL fan than I am, but apparently this is sort of the um, the modus operandi in uh, in America, and it seems to work okay. Yeah, it does. And and you know. In a normal time with goal kicking, some kickers take up to two minutes to, to even put the tee, you know, on the ground. So, um, as as mentioned, if in a normal time it's, it's going to take them that long, they may as well have a quick look. I just hope it does sort of give power a little bit back more to the referees and they do just make a call. And even if they get it wrong, you know, they've got it in, the, in their mind, oh, they're going to have a quick check anyway. So, um yeah, it's it's again a bit of a common sense one, and uh, one that should should help everyone involved. And if they're really unsure and they really think it's worth checking, they can obviously still go upstairs. They don't have to award it and then hope the bunker fixes it later. Um, the last change, I think we're up to the last one, um, is around trainers. Um, Alicia, it's, uh, we've obviously seen some, uh, you know, maybe some slight delaying tactics where, where trainers have called for play to be held up for, you know, cramps or, or minor injuries. So now um, the change is if a trainer asks for a game to be stopped for an injury, that player has to either be interchanged or taken off for two minutes um, to be assessed. Um, 
on the face of it, you can see a lot of logic to it. Do you see any drawbacks or what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think obviously it's to try and eliminate that that uh, the, uh, the gamesmanship that, that sometimes goes on in the game. It does frustrate fans, especially when it's, you know, a couple of minutes remaining and teams ahead by two and just want to slow the clock down. Um, but obviously on, on the flip side, you know, if you've got a player that's genuinely injured and needs to come off, then that's that's where we want to eliminate it. But um, I think just the confusion around that might be, you know, what happens to a player? Can they come back on in that two minutes? Like, do they have to, you know, how where are they getting assessed? Are they getting assessed on the side of the field? Do, does that team play a man down for two minutes? Like a little bit of grey area around that that's probably worth, you know, chasing up, um, chasing up once uh, once the season sort of starts up but um, yeah that's probably my big thing what what sort of happens in in between all that and there'll still be stoppage right stoppage time if a player's leaving the field and yeah um, yeah it's it's still gonna be there it's just a matter of basically you're gonna lose that player for at least two minutes so um, some teams might even think that's still worth it I'm not sure but um yeah obviously just trying to eliminate the good and the bad in, in that situation. Brad, would it be a case of potentially you could, within the two minutes, I'd imagine that the injured player can't come on in the two minutes, but the, the coach could then choose if the player goes off to make that interchange within the two minutes and bring a, a fresh player on if he's got interchanges left. Yeah, that's how I understand it, that, that he'll be able to inter- interchange the player if he's injured. But if they decide that they don't want to use an interchange of the player is okay to go back on, they'll just have to wait that two-minute period, which is effectively a set of six. Um, it, this is a rule that you see in in soccer um, when a player a player is injured and have to stop the game for treatment the player has to leave the field and has to be off the field for a period of time before they can go back on it's just a, it's it's to take away the gamesmanship um, try and take away the gamesmanship I mean we still might see teams who you know will decide will exploit the rule um, stop the get, get the game stopped it enables their defense to, um, to reset then they're going to have to defend a set a player down. Um, some teams might be able to adjust to that. They might think that's worth the worth a go. Um, um, but you know, it, it may, it's it's a risk, isn't it? And particularly if the game's tight and you're defending on your own line, um, you're going to want to defend a set with a player short. So um, yeah. I think hopefully we'll just take out that gamesmanship. What about so the what flip about- side? You go, Alicia. Sorry, just for example, you know, we had we had Nathan Brown against the Tigers that time. You know, went down, grabbed at his neck, trainer come on. Time stopped, got up, got a penalty, got a quick tap, whatever, whatever he did. Like, does that technically, you know, next year will he be taken from the field for two minutes? Is that what we're we're talking about? Or it's the incidents where a trainer signals to the referee that a player is injured in back play and we need to stop the game. It's it's, yep. it's those incidents, and usually, look, you know, and we're sort of talking about it from the point of view that maybe that's being. Um, you know, manipulated that rule. But, you know, in most cases, the player, and, and let's say in all cases, the trainer genuinely believes that the player is is injured. So that's why he signals to the referee. Um, if, he's seriously in, if he's seriously injured, it'll be interchanged, be replaced straight away. If they decide, oh, look, he's actually okay, he, he'll have to come from the field for two minutes um, and, and then be able to go back on. I think it's a, I think it's a good, um, it's a good solution um, because, we can't go back to where we were when it was just at the referee's discretion. And we saw, we have seen incidents where players have been seriously injured and players continued on. And that's been a dangerous situation. So we have to um, err on the side of, of caution. 
But by the same token, when trainers are able to stop the game, then uh, it does, and it usually happens, if it's going to be manipulated, it will happen when the team's defending um, and usually defending their own line under pressure. So therefore, if, if they are going to do that and if they are going to try and uh, manipulate the situation, well, then they're, they're going to have to roll the dice and, and defend a set of, a set of six um, with uh, one man short or use up an interchange. I would say to your example, Alicia, there's nothing really to stop a player staying down, clutching at their neck and, and you know, trying to pull a, a penalty as long as it doesn't get to the point of the trainer coming over and calling for player to be stopped. But if they're the tackled player, that's not the instance. Like the trainer's more when they're down in back play and the, the player's gone somewhere else. So, yeah, a player sort of staying down, grabbing their neck, and then the refs have a look at it and give a penalty and they bounce back up. But that's not going to be impacted. Oh, by say, yeah, that's more on the milking side of it. Yeah, yeah and I'll just not say too that. That's usually the attacking player trying to milk yes. a penalty as opposed to yep. the yes. defensive team trying to stop the game so they can reset their defensive line. Yep, so it's two different yep. things. But I was going to say before, on the flip side, Brad, do you see this potentially having any player welfare concerns in terms of a player who actually is injured trying to get up and play on to avoid having to go off the field or avoid leaving his, his team a player short? No, because it's only when the trainer decides to stop the game. So the trainer will come and, you know, um, assess the player and, and the tra- if the player's seriously injured, the trainer will stop the game. So I don't think that we'll see players, you know, it's the trainer's decision, it's not the player's decision. So I, I, I think it should still be okay. Well, that's, um, that's all of the eight rule changes, I think, covered off in a fair bit of depth. Broadly speaking, any final thoughts, Brad? It seems like a lot of changes. They could, any of them individually, could have a, a net positive result. But, um, I mean, do, do you risk fans getting a little bit sort of fatigued or disenchanted by sort of the, you know, the, the continual sort of adjustments? Well, I think, you know, the, the rule around the trainer is, is a reaction to, um, you know, what we saw last year. So they've just obviously tweaked that rule. Um, the, the, they're clearly trying to um, keep the ball in play more. So that's why we're going to have uh, less scrums and less penalties. Um, they want scrums to, um, I suppose, to mean something. If we're going to have scrums, let's let's make um, players bind in. So I think that's that's a pretty good rule. And obviously they've decided, you know, it's. I think everyone agrees we want to remove the, the howler where the, the try gets awarded and, uh, and, the, and, the, and everybody can see that it wasn't a try and there's nothing that can be done about it. So we've, we've now got um, those... Things probably the one that took everybody by surprise was the two-point field goal. I don't know, like where that's come from, what the sort of motivation behind that is. I haven't, I've never heard anybody um, raise it, call for it, um, suggest that was a good idea. But I think it it'll um, it'll make games um, more entertaining. And um, really interestingly, that's the one that's being debated. And I've noticed that Greg Inglis is um, trending on Twitter uh, because. <laughs> You know, he, he did what Souths were down by two points uh, and he attempted a field goal. I think that was in 2016 against um, the Dragons. Dragons, yeah. And, uh, and, ter- and people don't remember this, but um, I, you know, I looked it up. Uh, Terry Lamb in 1992, the Bulldogs were down by two points and he did actually kick a field goal against the Knights and they lost, uh, by, they lost 12-11 instead of 12-10. Um, so a two-point field goal, maybe those, those guys were ahead of their time. Just a little bit. Any final thoughts, Alicia? Oh, look, I just think, you know, as opposed to all the changes that happened in, in um, March earlier this year leading into into the May 28 return, I think teams will just have a lot more time to 
sort of, you know, sift through it all and work out their plans and try and find ways to attack it and defend it. There'll be pros and cons. I think there'll be a bit of a period of obviously just getting used to everything. Um, but I think in the advantage, there is a bit more time to to prepare, which, um, which will help um, all teams involved. And I also think there'll be plenty of guys practicing their fuel goals between now and uh, and March because I don't think there's many out there that can really nail a 40 meter field goal that consistently. So, well, they all think they um, can. If you you have watched training <laughs> as I have, they all they all fancy themselves from 40 meters out from the, the sideline. Yeah, so it's uh it's going to be interesting. We shall see. Well, hopefully that has uh, helped illuminate everyone's understanding on the rule changes just a little bit. It'll be interesting to see uh, what impact they do have uh, when the season gets underway in about three months from now. Brad, Alicia, thank you for joining me and thanks everyone for listening. Mm-hmm.